what is my truth? Like, what is the best way I learn? And then how do I get better at that? And where are ways I can use that to my advantage to either reskill myself, change careers, learn something I didn't know? on average read 60 books per year. Many attribute their professional success to this persistent quest for new wisdom and innovative excellence. MentorBox makes it easy for you to develop that same high-achieving habit of lifelong learning. As a person of action, you know that true ingenuity is the result of deep, deep knowledge. And just by listening to this podcast, you are working toward your goals every single day. If you are ready to wholly embrace this mindset, this 1% better every day, then check in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes. And if you want to dive deeper into the teachings of our guests, become a member at MentorBox.com today. There, you'll find a course from my guest today, Tiffany Bova. Tiffany is the global customer growth and innovation evangelist at Salesforce. Her days are often as long as her title, as she spends most of her time traveling to speaking engagements consultations, and promotional events. Representing the biggest SaaS company of all time, the CRM Salesforce, you can be sure she's evangelizing globally. I ask how her career with innovative industry-leading companies has helped her devise her own philosophy around company growth, often described as one of the foremost growth experts and futurists in the world. Tiffany was convinced to write her own book, Growth IQ. She explains her strategy for making deep business principles more accessible and more human, which you can find in that book, which releases on August 14th. Enjoy the conversation. Hello, 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 and welcome to the MentorBox podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lay, content coordinator at MentorBox, and today I'm speaking with Tiffany Bova. Tiffany, it's great to have you talking with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. We did a wonderful shoot uh, a week or two ago in Los Angeles, uh, right around Hollywood, actually. And we had a great time. We got to try on some uh, some different outfits in the little design studio that that we were at. And you had a, a great time with all that. So I, I appreciate your willingness to really ramp up the energy in the studio on a, on a last day of shooting that me and videographer will we're doing on, on a travel trip so I, I appreciate your energy in that scenario yeah well I showed people the pictures and they go you kind of look like a smurf and I'll just leave it at that <laughs> yeah google <laughs> Tiffany Bova smurf everybody um it, it, it was fun um so I, I I did a little bit of googling before I uh met you the first time and I found an article uh or a, an interview from Thrive Global with you from a few months ago that was kind of focused on how you start your day and sort of your habits. You spoke about how you try to, you know, wake up, think about who you're grateful for, what you're thankful for. But I also know that you're the kind of person that's always on the go, flying tons and tons. You mentioned just before the conversation, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles a year. So I imagine having habits and expressing your gratitude and your thankfulness every morning and just having any sort of regular system can be very difficult. Well, you know, as you said, I have the pleasure uh, of traveling about a quarter of a million miles a year. I'm uh, glad it's which, a pleasure for you. I hate planes, yeah, and, so. and I, you know, I said it while smiling. Right, if you could see me, I'm I'm smiling. Um, <laughs> it is absolutely what I love most about 
my job because if I'm traveling, I'm getting to go and meet really amazing people along the way, right? So I learn a ton from those trips uh, and those interactions I couldn't have, you know, sitting in the office, uh, you know, and or even doing it over the phone. So yes, I travel a lot, but with that comes a sense of isolation and loneliness as well, right? Because you're kind of always somewhere new. There's no familiarity, you know, outside of, I always stay at kind of the same brand of hotels. So it sort of feels the same, if you will. And I fly the same airline. And so that feels the same. Uh, But that real sort of connection uh, with people that are close to you in your life, you have to find other ways to stay connected. And so thankfully, uh, social media has allowed me to do that. You know, at least I can keep up on what people are doing and they can keep up on what I'm doing. And I feel like I can still have a quote unquote conversation with someone, even though it's not face to face. And it may not be, you know, voice either. It may not be on the phone, but you have to really work hard when you have a schedule like mine uh, to keep yourself, you know, connected into your own life. Otherwise, you know, days, weeks, months, years go by and you look back and go, wow, what did I do? I'm glad that you are able to use social media in that way. And, and, you know, maintain your social life in a positive way. Interestingly enough, we at MentorBox, I think just a week or two ago, published a video from Sherry Turkle, who is an MIT professor who wrote the book. Uh, she wrote a few books, actually. One was Alone Together. Another is Reclaiming Conversation. And they're all about how social media and texting and just conversing and having discourse online, virtually, digitally it removes vulnerability from us. She doesn't like to use the word addiction or any negative terminology around the sort of obsessive use of social media. But she she has a lot of research that indicates that we have changed as social beings. And in a lot of cases, it's the ability to really filter out what is you know negative from our lives and difficult in favor of what is positive, both as a public image and part of identity and as you know a conversational thing so you can choose exactly what gets said and what gets seen essentially and it sounds like you have really figured out how to how to twist this in a positive way mostly because it sounds like your life is very exciting except for the moments where you're you know in transit i mean is that safe to say Yeah, except, you know, when you travel the volume that I do, (laughs) I travel a little differently than someone who travels once a year, which thankfully, right, otherwise travel, I would not say I have the wonderful pleasure, right? right? Wonderful pleasure is because, uh, thankfully, I... uh, have a unique travel experience because just because of the volume that I that I do, uh, you know, with the brands I choose to stay with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure you fly first class like a queen and all of that. Um, but I, I do think it's fun that you uh, even just in the studio, like I mentioned with us, you know, you were playing around and you took some photos that, you know, I'm sure you put right up on social media and you shared that way. And I'm just curious now. I mean, do you treat social media in a specific way for yourself? Personally, is it is it a brand item for you? Is it, it have you found a way to successfully like fuse, you know, your personal high energy fun self with your brand in that way as your online identity? So whether it was intentional or accidental, I I made the decision many years ago to keep my social personal life and my social professional life separate. It doesn't mean that I have like two personas, if you will. It was that, you know, with the volume of things I 
do. I really tried to use my personal as that connection to the people closest in my life as a way for me to stay in touch with them. And then I use my professional social uh, persona, if you will, uh, to share things that are more related to what I do day to day from a work perspective. It doesn't mean that I'm a different person. It's just there are some things I you know, choose not to share more broadly. And, and some people disagree with that. Like their personal persona is both work and personal. You know, they'll share family vacations and them speaking on stage or, you know, they'll share, you know, their kid's wedding and, you know, doing a video shoot in the same feed, if you will. Uh, I, yeah, I just didn't choose to do that, but I think it's personal for everybody. And I think that's the way, if you think about that work-life balance, like I, I, I might've even been a subconscious way for me to force that balance a little bit so that I had something that I could keep. I mean, you are dealing with extremely high level clients and in groups and people, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and also it was, you know, to be really just you know, brutally honest on this. I, I, you know, I was born and raised in Hawaii. So my, you know, my initial thought was, okay, when I'm home and I'm surfing and taking pictures, like, is that what I want (laughs) streaming through, you know, is that the girl that I just saw on stage last week, like talking about digital disruption, you know what I mean? But, and so it's not that I don't share anything personal. I do. Uh, I just don't share all of it. I and, and I think that that's, yeah. And I think that's where I, I found, uh, I, fa- I tried to find my balance, if you will. Okay. And I, I'm going to maybe make a leap here, but I think this is, this was your approach to the book Growth IQ that you wrote. You explained to me in the studio that you had read plenty of business books that were, you know, along the same lines as what you're trying to get at, you know, company and business growth. But for you, like personally, from an individual standpoint and in your personal experience, there didn't seem to be much that really spoke to what you had learned and what you had felt, you know, working in with major companies and that sort of thing. Is, would you do you think this is related in any way? Well, I'd say this, you know, I was told by someone very early in my journey of writing Growth IQ to write a book that I would want to read. And I think that that's very personal, right? So I think the personal antidotes I use in the book uh, and the stories that I tell and the companies that I chose, you know, have everything to do with it. It's a, it's a window into what do I think people and companies that are doing that are uh, special enough, if you will, to, to make it into something that's going to be memorialized in a book forever. Uh, and, and so you know, and I would also say that in many ways it was almost like giving birth to this book, right? Because it was in this process of, of you know, probably almost nine months, uh, you know, going through everything, and you feel like now, you know, is, are people going to say my baby's ugly, right? <laughs> so, you know, you want it to be healthy and happy and grow up and and uh, make a difference in the world, just like you almost would a kid. So, you know, in many ways, I think it's a very personal project for me. Uh, and you know, I, I wrote a majority of it while 35,000 feet in airplanes because that (laughs) that's my best quiet time. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, uh, in many ways it was an opportunity for me to share what had been shared with me as well as things I had learned. You know, I'm a firm believer in sort of being a lifelong learner and, uh, this was my way to also up my game because I had to learn a lot in order to even write the book, which 
was a fantastic and challenging and humbling process. I love that analogy. Are people going to think that my baby's ugly? Because, you know, it is, it is like so purely yours. And as much as a baby has, you know, your DNA and, and your genetics and all that, your book has your knowledge and, and your experience and your thoughts. And one of my favorite things about the book that I think was a very personal decision that you made, a uh, personal aesthetic style type thing, is just that it's it's got sketches all throughout it, essentially, that, um, you know, demonstrate the concepts and the statistics and all of that. Even on the cover, I think, I don't have it in front of me right now, but I think there's this big blue um, arrow that represents, you know, growth, that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's just very visual, but from in a, in a very highly accessible, simple way. Where did that come from for you? Well, it goes back to what I was just saying about the fact that I wanted to write a book I would read. And I'm a visual listen learner, not a read learner, which sounds interesting because I have to read so much for work, but I have to read so much for work. But when I want to learn about something random, uh, I wouldn't read about it. I might go watch a TED talk or a video or listen to a podcast or something like that, where that's the way I consume and learn uh, from data and information. That's my sort of preferred choice. So in reading, you know, probably almost a hundred books in preparation for, for mine, I wanted it to feel more like my personality and not quite so academic and heavy. And even though in my past life, uh, I worked at Gartner, which was uh, which is a the largest IT analyst and consulting firm in the world. You know that was very academia. But before that, I was a practitioner, and so blending those two uh, styles and personalities, if you will, is really what the book tried to represent. So instead of using Excel uh, images or PowerPoint images in the book and laden with sort of heavy data tables, I chose to use sketch notes. Uh, which I use in my social feed, you know, so for if I'm trying to with my podcast at the end of my podcast, I have a sketch note done by by an artist. And that's the way I capture the thoughts. And they get virally shared because people enjoy them as well. Right. That's the way they could see the story and understand the story without even maybe listening to the podcast or it gets them interested enough to want to listen to the podcast. And so, you know, if they're looking at a page of, you know, 300 words, let's say on a book. And on the other side is the sketch note. I'm going to guess they're going to look at the sketch note first and they're going to go, Oh, I kind of get it. Right. Then they want to know more. Then they actually read the whole page or they read the story versus seeing 600 words, you know, on two pages, it's very dense and heavy, uh, in, in content. And then they go, Oh, I'm just going to skim it yeah. because you know, it's too much for me. This is funny. I, I, it's almost like you're working backwards in a way saying, you know, instead of saying like, what's, what's the content, the language, the ideas that are really going to grip people. It's, it's knowing that, you know, our attention spans in the 21st century are rather limited and you're, you're gripping them right on, uh, you know, early with images so that they are consumed and, and will actually, you know, consider reading the work in response to that. Yeah, because this, the statistics of reading a book, you know, many people will say, oh, they get through the first chapter or two. Rarely do they read the whole book or it's a vanity book. It's on their desk. Like, I want people to read it going back to like, you know, I put a lot of work and effort. And I think anybody who writes a book wants people to read it. Obviously, they feel like they had something to say. 
And so, I, you know, I like I said, I tried to make it something that I would want to read and would be compelling and interesting and exciting for me. Uh, and I hope people who read it uh, enjoy it as well. Did you do any real hard research into like reading habits and, you know, the visual nature of like space on the page and images on a page? Did you actually look into any of that? Because I used to work at a major publisher uh, selling textbooks and I liaise with a lot of authors and editors who had done this sort of, you know, robust research on like how much white space there needs to be on a page and that sort of thing. And of course, textbooks are rather different and probably a little bit more visual, but there is like a whole body of research to this stuff. And I find it fascinating. Did you look into any of that? I didn't actually. And uh, now that you've said that, I'm like, boy, I probably should have, but I didn't. I don't know if it's uh, appropriate for like, you know, smaller trade style yeah. books, but who knows that could transfer. But I will tell you that, you know, in, like I said, it was almost a hundred books. I, I kind of got my hands on, uh, and I didn't read them all cover to cover, but you know, I read pieces and parts of it. Some of it were books I'd read once before, and I wanted to just take a peek again. Cause I knew I enjoyed it. And, and what was it that I enjoyed about it? Uh, and so there was a handful of books that I, there were certain things I really enjoyed once again, you know, sort of write something I would want to read so that I could attract or please people who were similar to me in the learning style and sort of the kind of book they want to read without it being too sort of cheeky, if you will, right? There's, there, there's a very fine line between it being taken seriously and then seeming, seeming too cartoony, right? And so there, there is that fine line uh, with surrounding the content with enough weight and validity and sort of thought leadership that then is supported by a sketch note versus, you know, the sketch note trying to tell this very big, broad story. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier, too, that it's not uncommon for these things to essentially go viral. I mean, they get a lot of appreciation for, I'm sure, you know, their simplicity, but also the robustness that they represent, the images and the graphics and the infographics and all that. And that to me is indicative that this book is, it's, um, and I, I say, I feel like I, I love things that are like this and I try to find them wherever I can, but it's almost like a, a meta case study in itself. Like you have a, a book, I, I found it online, actually, I'm looking at it now. So get smarter about the choices that will make or break your business. That's the subtitle of Growth IQ. And I feel like you acted smarter about the choices that will make or break your business book by, you know, including much more accessible images that aren't just conventional and, and sort of reducing the academic tone and all of that. You have created something that is capable of going viral, which these days isn't really how people think of, you know, business books in general. Yeah, and, and you're right. The hope would be that people don't feel intimidated by the concepts, which I don't think they will, right? So some of it is, you know, I, I could tell you, I've read business books where like, I'll read a page one, two, three, four, five times and go, crap, I, okay, let me try. Let me try one more time, yeah, right? Yeah. And or, you are <laughs> deep into and, and, that and realm. I'm so. And I'm struggling. Yeah. And so, and not that I know all, that's not my point. But the point is, is that I'm struggling. Like, okay, let me try it one more time. And it could just be that I just don't understand the concept, which is possible. And then there's a, then there, then there's an image that's supposed to be sort of supporting that concept, which is equally confusing to me. 
Uh, and so I said, look, I don't want to, once again, I don't want to oversimplify where it's insulting. I just want it to be supportive of a concept and an idea. And I think this goes back, you know, what you said around sort of educational textbooks. You know, I am not by any stretch. I was never a good student and I'm not an academic in that way. And I actually don't have my MBA because the way that school taught was not the best way for me to learn. And so I never really excelled. And then when I got to the business world and I could learn in other ways, I really excelled. And so it, it was sort of, you know, for others who have read business books where they're like, God, you know, I talked to three people. They told me this was the greatest book they ever read. I got to page 30 and I was totally confused or, you know, I didn't understand the concept or uh, it was a little it was a little academic for me. Right. Or it was a little heavy of a concept. Uh, that's what I was trying to avoid. Uh, yet having it be substantial enough that it was worth the time and the money uh, to to purchase the book. What is the the method by which you learn best? Can you say that again for me or your learning style? Yeah. So like I said, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, if there was something I wanted to learn about, so I'll, I'll just use an example. So there's this new show on National Geographic called Drain the Oceans. And what they've done is taken technology to basically sonar the bottom of these you know, lakes or bodies of water that carry a lot of the history of, of our existence. So whether it's maritime ships, you know, coming across from Europe to the United States, or whether it's, you know, ancient cultures in Egypt, or whether it's lost shipwrecks, whatever it is. And the sonars allow the technology to visually drain the ocean and not really, right? But it drains the ocean and then it shows you the topography of the bottom of the ocean. It could be like why earthquakes happen and then why tsunamis end up somewhere else. And I live in Hawaii. Very interesting to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, I want to know, right? Especially everything that's going on in the big island right now. But I was not going to read a book about sort of like, you know, how the Spanish ships went from here to there and what kinds of things they were carrying and how many men were lost and how many ships were lost. That's not how I wanted to learn it. Right. And so I, I found the show and I like watched the show and now I'm like, wow, that was totally fascinating. So if I'd read the book, I probably wouldn't have been as inspired about the story and felt like I'd learned a lot during that 45 minute period of time that I can watch on my iPad while I'm up in the air. Right. That I can watch the show and learn versus, you know what, I'm going to pick up a book on the history of maritime from the 1800s, not something I would have read. So it's just a matter of, and I didn't understand how I would learn better until I entered the workforce. And then if someone explained something to me, I'd be like, oh, and so it made me more curious to ask more questions so that I could go and find out more answers. And then instead of going to a classroom or taking a class, which, you know, I've had to do on things like, you know, P&Ls, right, and finance, like I had to do that kind of stuff. But everything else, you know, I've tried to learn whether it's a TED Talk or a podcast or like I said, you know, a, a television show or a documentary or something like that. Like that's just how I personally prefer to learn and this is visual listen learner. Is that what you called it? I would say, yes. Visual listen learner versus mm -hmm. sort of a read learner. Okay. You know, there are some people that are ferocious readers, right? They were, they will like read, you know, two books a week or one book a week. And you know, those people, I know you do, right? Yeah, or of four course. books a month, or six books a month. 
and I don't, that's not what I'll do. Uh, if someone has a concept that's in a book that everyone's reading, I'll go, hey, do they have a TED Talk? Let me catch sort of the 25 minute or of it. Do they have a podcast? Like, let me listen to the podcast. And then if I'm like, oh, I really want to know more, I, I go get the book. Hey, I hate to interrupt this conversation with Tiffany Bova, but I want to let you know where you can learn more about her growth principles. She recorded a whole series of lectures on her book, Growth IQ, but per usual, that is exclusively for MentorBox members. If you want access to that course and many, many more, be sure to sign up at MentorBox.com today. All right, back to the show. This is my favorite conversation to have because I studied English literature and I actually studied um, film and television as well in school. And I subsequently worked in, as I said, textbook publishing where I learned a whole lot about how you know, younger generations these days feel about reading. And, you know, textbooks are one category of reading, very sort of deliberate educational, um, in some ways, like forced practice to, you know, learn hard sciences and that sort of thing. But there's a strong sort of sea change slowly happening, I don't know, away from physical books, perhaps, uh, such that physical books maybe aren't going to disappear, but the, how they look and what they represent is changing. And you seem to be the kind of person who is a, a great example of, of discovering a learning style that wasn't just, you know, deliberate reading and something else that not only helped you learn better, but actually encouraged your your like personal intellectual growth because you said that when somebody explained something to you you were then encouraged to go on and, and ask questions and learn more and i of course you know mentor box in particular i feel like we have a a a, a good place in this conversation because we are taking authors like yourself and putting them into visual listen learning lessons whereby you the author actually give the lesson and now that you have written a book you have a podcast, you, you know, you speak to people, you engage with people one-on-one. -on -one. What, this is a difficult question, but where do you see the future of learning going? You know, how do you see media changing so that people better consume and better learn important information? Uh, you sound like you like, you know, shows and audio, but you've also written a book. So do you have a preference? Do you think they're all going to come together in some sort of, uh, you know, mixed medium? Or do you have any ideas in this direction? Well, one of the things you just said, the first thing I'd say for anybody that's listening to this podcast or, you know, takes advantage of everything MentorBox uh, provides from a video perspective is you have to remain curious. That's number one. And two would be, then you have to figure out what is your style? Is it read the book, then watch the video, then listen to a podcast? Is it, you know, is it the reverse? And different topics are different things for me. Like some, I may only do visually and I may never read a book on the business side. It tends to be, I I'm with the book and then I want to get deeper and I go the other way just because of the nature of what I do. Uh, but Ultimately, I think first and foremost, we're all very different. And so, you know, understanding what works for you, which is why MentorBox, you know, fits a particular kind of person, customer, persona, right, that likes video and likes to learn that way and likes bite-sized chunks of information. Like that's the way they do it. Where other people are like, nope, I'd rather just read a book 
or I'd rather listen to an hour podcast where someone is just talking. And so first and foremost, I think everyone needs to say, what is my truth? Like, what is the best way I learn? And then how do I get better at that? And where are ways I can use that to my advantage to either reskill myself, change careers, learn something I didn't know. And I'm just going to go back to what I said about finance. So, you know, I, I mentioned I did not have an MBA. And so when I started moving up the corporate ladder and getting more and more responsibility, I was getting closer and closer to actually having to manage a P&L. But I was extremely intimidated and overwhelmed at a P&L. Like it was just too much for me. It, finance was just not my thing. And so, and I knew it. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go take a class. So I took a, uh, a finance class at, you know, extended learning at UCLA. And it was like, you know, six Saturdays or something. And it was like six hours a day. And it was like paint drying with hot needles, you know, I just, I couldn't get it, you know, cause it was that textbook. You have that big computer and all the numbers and everything. And I was very, very confused. It's just not my thing. And so it, it almost turned me off to it, but I, but I knew if I could get out of that class, just understanding what someone was asking me, and I didn't need to know the answer, I was much further along than I was before I took the class. So when someone would say contra revenue, I didn't go, what are they talking about? You know, I, I understood it, but it didn't mean I had to go calculate it or figure it out or find it or any of those things. It was just, you know, what how do I improve my ability to understand questions so I could go find the answer? And then I hired someone who was sort of my partner in crime, who was my finance guy, who was attached at my hip to make sure I wasn't doing something that I shouldn't be doing in relation to it. So it's like, know what your strengths are and know what your non-strengths are. As a friend of mine says, they are not weaknesses, they are non-strengths. So, you know, my non-strength was finance. So you know, that's how I went and tackled it. So some of it is just, I don't need to know it all. I, I just need to know what I don't know, what I'm really good at. And then if you're going to move up in the corporate ladder, you have to be willing to uh, find a way to work through the things you feel uncomfortable with or insecure about and just give yourself enough that you overcome that fear of being caught as kind of a fraud. Like you're sitting at the desk and someone's having a finance conversation and you're looking at them like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you don't want that to happen. Uh, so I, I just say that that I think if, if first and foremost, people are listening to this podcast, it means they've already made a conscious decision that they want to learn. So that's great, right? Okay. I truly believe that understanding what vocabulary, what concepts, what frameworks, what ideas you may not actually understand. If you can get a, a good comprehensive understanding of what is out there that you need to learn, whether you are able to immediately or not, that is that is the biggest strength that you can have because you know where you are in conversations, in debates, in developments, etc. And that sounds like how you kind of approach those classes at UCLA. Is that safe to say? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I wish I had more time to do that, but now of course that was, that had to be 20 years ago. And so now if I wanted to learn that now I could get it in a different medium, right? I could go to a YouTube channel. I could listen to a podcast. There would be another way for me to learn. So that's what I'm saying, right? It's just, it's a matter of what is where some people are like, nope, I would take a class. Right. And so now I continue to do that, whether it's about 
you know, how to use Instagram or, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just, if I need to want to learn something, there is no shortage of ways in which you could learn, regardless of what your preferred method is, whether it's read, listen, or visual, right? Whichever, whichever way it is. Yeah. I actually just started taking some, I mean, not taking courses, but watching a YouTube series on how to use Adobe products so that I can maybe do some design or video editing things in the future. And it's, it's great. It's all out there. So if you want to learn something, just Google it, figure it out, guys. There's, there's a lot of ways to, to pick up new yeah, skills. As long as it's days. not, as long as it's not fake news, right? Yeah, like I'm course. all, I'm all in if it's, if it's good stuff. <laughs> so do but, your, do your research on whatever yeah, it is that research. you're learning from first. Yeah. Like Dr. Google, not usually a good idea, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Tiffany, I want to finish with one heavy question for you here. You work with a lot of big time folks, companies, groups of people, very high level businesses in, you know, as a speaker and as a consultant, um, I'm sure you've dealt with some really difficult cases. And you just mentioned, you know, you don't have an MBA in some ways, I'm sure you are. And just the way you describe the book, it sounds like, you know, you have felt like an outsider at some points. I want to know what keeps you up at night now. Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that there's just not enough time in the day. And, you know, you can, friend of mine says, you know, you can earn more money. You can, you can, you know, increase your, your step, your sort of rank in a company, if you will, but you can never get back time. You can never buy more time. It's just not possible. And so it's how do I become more effective uh, and productive with less time so that I can try to get the balance back, you know, a little bit closer. I don't believe in 50-50, but I also don't want it sort of 80-20, 90-10, right? I mean, if it could be 65-35 and float between the two or 70-30, I'd feel much better. And so it's, you know, even something like scheduling tweets ahead of time, knowing I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be at an event. I want my tweets to go out instead of it going totally silent. Like that's really effective, but it also takes the time to schedule the tweets. So while I'm more productive, because multiple things are happening simultaneously, I still have to put in the work up front. Uh, So it would just be, you know, I wish I could uh, focus myself a little bit better to be more, you know, be more effective with my usage of time, because I'm sure I waste a lot uh, running around in circles, sort of chasing things that are not so important. Um, But hopefully in time, (laughs) that will happen. I feel like you also deal with a lot of people who maybe waste your time too. I mean, you're probably dealing with some rather stubborn individuals in a lot of cases who, because of the authority that they've had historically, you know, may not want to be told how to act or how to change or how to increase their productivity. Do you encounter that at all? Uh, You know, I'd say this, there's always something to learn. And I don't think anybody wastes my time. I think that's a, that's a big statement. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, and and I'd say, because they might be struggling with something like I was struggling, right? They're asking questions that I may feel is fairly rudimentary, but it doesn't mean they think it is because they're asking, right? And so they're on their own learning journey. And I take that responsibility actually really seriously. I mean, people who have heard me speak on stage or sort of tell my story is that, um, you know, I believe that people who have the uh, wonderful opportunity like I do to speak around the world and write a book and have a podcast and meet really interesting and fascinating people. 
I didn't get there because I, I'm not standing on the shoulders of people who came before me and opened the door for me and answered a really stupid question from me <laughs> along the way, right? And so uh, that 90 seconds or two minutes of time that someone may stop and ask me a question when I'm getting off stage or they see me in a hallway at an event or you know getting on an airplane or whatever it might be, it's really important to them, that two minutes. And so how I choose to respond to that two minutes, you know, listen, I'm not Oprah, so <laughs> I'm not bothered every second. So it might be different at that level. Sure. But in my world, like I try to take those two minutes very seriously and make them feel like it's the most important two minutes I, I have and that I've given today, even if it's the 700th two minutes I've had to give today, doesn't matter. Uh, they've taken their time uh, they may be, you know, insecure about walking up and asking a question. So you have to take that really seriously. Um, and now it's different when you have a strong relationship with a customer and they continue to ask the same question over and over. Yeah, that's what you know, I'm that's thinking. That's where your professional hat has to pop on and it's you can't get frustrated. You have to figure out, okay, obviously the way that I'm answering it is not sinking in. And so I'm not doing either one of us a favor. So what are the things I could do to uh, turn that around? That's a really positive outlook. I, I appreciate that you're so willing to deal with us lay folks who may not have the acumen that you do. So I appreciate that. Before we finish up here, Tiffany, do you want to give a quick, uh, do you want to just let our folks know where they can learn more about you, uh, social media handles, websites, anything like that? And, you know, one more plug for the book. Oh, absolutely. So I'm going to start with the book since it's the most important thing in my on my mind right now, right? So my book publishes uh, August 14th, 2018. It's called Growth IQ, Get Smarter About the Choices That Will Make or Break Your Business. Uh, it's on sale online pretty much everywhere. Uh, it'll be in bookstores as well, as well as uh, international uh, in the UK and Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, China. It's going to be uh, worldwide. Uh, and and then I have a podcast called What's Next with Tiffany Bova, where I have really fascinating people on that I've met on my travels, and we kind of sit down and have a cup of coffee together virtually. Uh, and so it's very conversational, really quick, about 25 minutes. And early uh, response to that has been fantastic. The guest list lineup has been really just stellar, from Tom Peters to Ariana Huffington, Dan Pink, uh, Seth Godin. I mean, it's just been really amazing. Um and then my social handle is at Tiffany, and it's T-I-F-F-A-N-I underscore Bova uh, on Twitter. And then you can follow me on LinkedIn uh, and Facebook is Tiffany Bova as well. And so is Instagram. So, you know, trying to get the word out and sort of share as much as I can and, and you know, be as uh, social, you know, as much as, as I can when I'm on the road to sort of share what I'm learning along the way. But it's been just uh, really amazing. Yeah, I imagine it's not easy, but... You have that high energy, so I'm sure you're able to, to keep it up. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And of course, shooting the full video with us um, in the studio. We'll be putting that out soon. Everybody else, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors, as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at mentorbox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts. 
as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.